The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and we're beginning a brand new series today called Creature of Habit. And, and this series is really about uh, us stopping and kind of pausing and looking at the opportunities that are in front of us uh, in this upcoming year, 2017. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but, but when a new year rolls around, I like to kind of stop and, and set some goals for the year, do a little bit of a personal audit, and, and assess myself and look at what I can do to... to to grasp this year and make it the best year of, of my life. You know, 2017 is in front of us and it has the opportunity to be one of the best years of our life, but it's not just going to happen because we want it to. It's going to happen because we take steps towards making it the best year of our life. In fact, uh, me and my family yesterday, we, we all sat down as a family and, and we wrote down some goals for, for ourselves, for, for each one of our kids, for me and Sarah, and, and then family goals, things that we want to achieve this year. Uh, because we want to, we want to really do our best to make sure we make the most of this year. And so, as we as we do that, I think one of the things we have to look at uh, is the habits of our life, because habits are a big deal. Habits are very powerful, and I'm going to show you this today how powerful habits can be. And you need to realize something: we're all creatures of habit. Every one of us is a creature of habit, and and every one of us have habits in our life that we're feeding. We all have these things in our life that we do that are directing where our life is going and how our life is going to be. Uh, and, and this is kind of how it works. Your habit life is kind of like this big old beast that's following you around. And, and it's getting bigger and bigger every day based on what you're feeding it every, every year. And, and so this big old lumbering beast that's with you is your habit life. And it can either be a tremendous force of good for you and can help you. Uh, in moving ahead this year, or huh, it can be a tremendous force of bad in your life that's creating chaos and that's dragging you down and that's keeping you from the life that God has for you this year. And every one of us have these habits in our life. In fact, uh, I read a, a study that was done by Duke University, and they, they found in this study that 40% of our actions every single week, 40% of our actions are directly related to the habits of our life, 40%. Now, you think about that. You could basically look at your week, and, and three, out of the four, three out of the seven days of your week are going to be uh, basically habitual. They're just going to kind of happen. Um, so you could take you know any of those three days, and, and four of the days you're living yourself, but three of the days are just kind of on autopilot, just kind of happening. I looked up, you know, autopilot this week and uh, to kind of discover what autopilot really is. I always kind of thought autopilot was kind of like cruise control on a car. You know, you get your car up to a certain speed, you hit a button, and then it just kind of maintains that speed. But 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 I found that autopilot actually does way more than that. Autopilot actually can 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 control the plane, can fly the plane, can can make the plane ascend, can make the plane descend, can turn the plane, can even land the plane. And it's kind of like those old commercials, you know, those infomercials on TV. You can set it or, and forget it, right? You, you, can, you can set autopilot on a plane, and it will kind of control where the plane is going to go. And, and that's kind of how our habits work. Once something becomes a habit in our life, 
It just kind of subconsciously happens. You do something enough times and it gets wired into your brain in such a way that you don't even have to think about it anymore. It just, it just happens. You just do it. Let, let me say it this way. Um, a habit is kind of like a tiny groove in, in your mind. You know, the human brain is an amazing thing. God, when he created the human brain, he knew what he was doing. And he made our minds to be these amazing things. And there's nothing that can kind of duplicate the power of the mind. And one of the things that the mind does is it's, it's constantly trying to save operating power uh, for what we're doing in the moment. So it's kind of like this. Your, your brain is working to create and discover these habits in your life so it can... It can cause certain aspects of your life to kind of happen on autopilot. So, so anything that your brain picks up on that you're doing over and over again, um, it, it takes notes on that, so to speak, and and it kind of it kind of works so that you can mentally check out of that, and that can just kind of happen. It, it's kind of like water, you know, water running over dirt or sand. If water is running over some dirt or sand, when it's first released over that dirt or sand, it just goes in all different directions, just kind of wherever it takes it. But over time, if that water continually flows over that dirt, if it continually flows over that sand, over time it starts to cut grooves in that sand. And, and, and the longer it runs, the deeper those grooves get. And so now what happens is instead of the water just kind of going wherever it wants to, it falls into those grooves and it goes where the grooves take it. And that's kind of what happens in our mind. That's how our brains work. When you do something, say, 20 to 60 times, it becomes a habit in your life and it becomes a deep groove in your brain. And for some of us, we have, we've done these habits and we have these things in our life that have happened so many times that they've become these kind of like Grand Canyon type grooves in our in our mind, and there's there's huge aspects of our life that just kind of keep happening over and over again. Let me give you an example of this. Um, how many of you, if you're like me, I, I get in my car at the end of the day, at the end of a work day, and, and I'm deciding to go home, right? I'm, I'm going home for the night. I'm done with work. I'm heading home. And what I find is that all of a sudden, I'm just home, right? I just kind of arrive at home. I, I don't have to I don't have to think about my commute home. I just get in my car with the intention of going home. And the next thing I know, boom, I'm at home. Anybody else relate to this? This happens to me just about every day. Uh, why? Because I've gone home so many times, my mind has made a habit uh, in there. A groove is in my mind now of how to get me home. And I don't even have to think about it. I remember when we first moved to Oklahoma City. You know, we had, me and my wife and our family, we, we were raised in Tulsa and I'd lived in Dallas for, for seven years, and, and then we moved to Oklahoma City. When we first got here, I, I didn't know my way around at all. It was a completely new city to me. And so every day I'd have to pay really close attention to where I was going and, 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 and pay attention to the landmarks of the city and the street signs and, 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 and kind of figure out where I was in the city. But over time, that changed. I, I started to learn how the city works, and now for our family... You know, we get in the car on a Saturday and we say, okay, let's go, let's go see a movie at the mall. The next thing I know, I just arrive at the mall. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think that down here I got to make a right and then two miles from there I need to make a left. No, it just kind of, it just happens. Why? Because I am a creature of, of habit and we all are. I, I came across this poem this week. It's called, Who Am I? And I think it, it really goes along well with what I'm talking about today. Here, here's what it says. It says, I am your constant companion. 
I'm your greatest helper or heaviest burden. I will push you onward or I will drag you to failure. I'm completely at your command. Half the things that you do might as well just be turned over to me, and I'll be able to do them quickly and correctly. I am easily managed. You must merely be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want something done, and after a few lessons, I will do it automatically. I am the servant of all people, and alas, of all failures as well. Those who are failures, I have made failures. I am not a machine, though I work with all the precision of a machine, plus the intelligence of a human being. You may run me for profit or turn me for ruin. It makes no difference to me. Take me, train me, be firm with me, and look at this, and I will place the world at your feet. Be easy on me, and I will destroy you. Who am I? I am habit. I am habit. If you're taking notes this morning, I've got three points for you. And my first point is this habits are powerful. Habits are powerful. And 40% of our life is happening habitually. 40% of your life is being determined today by what a past version of yourself decided to do. Habits are powerful. And this is good when it's good, and, and this can be really bad when it's bad. Uh, habits are terrific friends, but they're, but they're terrible enemies. When, when habits are good in their life, they'll move you forward. They'll tr- be a tremendous aid in helping you to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish and become the kind of person that you want to become. But when habits are bad, they will drag you down and hurt you and keep you from what God has from you. Habits are powerful. So, so here's the deal. If, if habits are powerful, and they are, then, then here's, here's what we need to understand. If we can harness the power of habits and create godly habits in our life, uh, godly habits like, like generosity and rest and health, uh, habits like prayer and worship, forgiveness, believing the best about others, being a person who's punctual, being a diligent worker, praying with our spouse, tithing. If we can, if we can make godly habits the, the practices of our life, then think about this. If we can train our brains to do something godly 40% of the time, think about what will happen to our lives if that beast gets unleashed on our days. You know, Jesus was a creature of habit. He was. I'll show you this. I told you to turn to Luke 4 earlier. Well, now we're going to get to that. Luke 4, we see in here... Uh, some insight into the life of Jesus. Luke 4, starting at verse 15, or 16, actually, it says this. It says, And he came to Nazareth. Luke is talking here about Jesus. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. Now, this is one of those quick little verses that's actually leading us to to a section of scripture about Jesus that's very well known. Uh, but there's something that is, is said in this little verse here that's very important for us to realize. There's a, there's a statement that is made here that, is, that says a ton about the life of Jesus. And, and here's what it is. It says, as was his custom. As was his custom. And that statement says a ton. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus had habits in his life. And we get to see in this verse... What one of those habits was. It was the custom of Jesus. It was the habit of Jesus to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath. To be in church on the Sabbath day. It was his habit. It was his custom. It was something that he did over and over again. Now, what's interesting about the life of Jesus is 
You know, we really don't know a lot about Jesus' life in the first 30 years of his life. Jesus lived 33 years on this earth. Uh, Three of those years were his ministry leading up to the cross. But the first 30 years of his life, we really don't know what was happening. We, We have glimpses into his life. You know, we know about about his birth. We just came out of the Christmas season. And in the Christmas season, we hear about the birth of Jesus and we, we learn all about that. So we, we know about that. We know about a few years later when the Magi came bringing gifts to him. We, maybe some of you thought that happened uh, at the manger, but that actually happened, some scholars say, two to three years later. So we see that. And then at about 12 years old, there's this occasion where Jesus uh, gets lost, or at least his parents can't find him. And then they finally find him at the temple, and that's where he makes the statement that he was about he was being about his father's business. And then another eighteen years goes by until we see Jesus kind of step into ministry. So, so that first thirty years, we really don't know a lot about Jesus. We don't know what he was doing. I can't tell you a whole lot about his life, but I can tell you this: I can tell you one of the things that I know that Jesus was doing. I know that he was going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Why? Because it says, as was his custom. It was his habit. Every week, for for 52 weeks, he was going to the synagogue. And he was making it a habit. And in fact, it's one of the first habits we see in the life of Jesus, was that he made spiritual habits his custom. It was something that he did consistently. And, And if it was good enough for Jesus, doesn't that need to be something that's good enough for us? If habits are powerful things that we need to be purposeful to harness in our life, then don't we need to be purposeful to harness spiritual habits for our life? Here's a question for you. With 2017 right in front of us, this first day of the new year, what are your spiritual habits? What are the things that you do every single week that help you connect with God? What are the things you do every single day that help you to connect with God? Because listen, here's how it works. If habits are these powerful things that they are, and we know that is true, and they're powerful things that happen based on repetition, they either become great friends of us or great enemies to us based on repetition, then that old saying of practice makes perfect is not true. The real saying is practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. What you you practice over and over again becomes a groove in your life. And so that being the case, we need to practice in our life spiritual disciplines. So they become the grooves of our life. They become the default settings that we live our life on. We need to practice stuff like worshiping God. It needs to become a practice in our life. We need to practice prayer. Prayer needs to be something that we're practicing on a daily basis. We need to practice reading the Word of God. We need to practice listening for the voice of God. We need to practice these things so that they become the permanent default settings of our life, so that those things become the the automatic 40% practices of our life. We need to be intentional to make spiritual things the practices of our life. Now, in this series over the next several weeks, we're, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about some of the spiritual practices that we need to put in place in our life to, to really take this year on and, and become who it is God's called us to be. And we're, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do some messages. I'm going to teach some messages with my wife, Sarah. Uh, I'm going to teach some messages with, with Pastor David, and he doesn't even know that yet, but, but we're going to teach some messages together. Uh, we're we're going to really dive into the practices of our life and how we can harness those for our good. Why? Because habits are are powerful and practice makes 
permanent. So we need to practice the right habits so that we can accomplish and have the kind of life that God's called us to be. Okay, number two is this. Point number two. The scope of your life is determined by the substance of your days. The scope of your life is going to be determined by the substance of your days. And uh, let me say it this way. Who you will be tomorrow is, is being determined by what you're doing today. Now, I know that's not, you know, really earth-shattering information there, but I think it's important for us to realize that that's true. Uh, because here's the thing. We all, we all want to be successful in life. We all want to do something great. You know, no one, no one is a little kid. You never go up to a little kid and say, hey, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And some little kid says, well, you know, I want to get divorced three times. No, no one says that. We all want to be great. We all want to, we all aspire to do great things and achieve great things. But realize this, greatness in our life is not just going to happen because we want it to. It's going to happen because we take steps towards it each and every day. The Bible says this in Galatians 6 verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. What you sow into today becomes what you will reap tomorrow. It's really that simple. So if that's the case, we need to sow for a great life today so that we can experience a great life tomorrow. The verse, I love that it says, do not be deceived. Listen, the, the life that, that you're going to arrive at someday is not going to be drastically different from the one that you're walking out slowly but surely every single day. You can't turn 60 and be surprised at where you're at in life if that's the life that you've been walking towards every day of your life. So here's what we have to do. If we want to, if we want to have the kind of life we want to have, we got to sow the right kind of life. we got to sow where we want fruit, and we got to sow the kind of fruit that we want to have. If you want to have a great marriage tomorrow, you need to sow into your spouse today. You need to invest into your relationship with your spouse. You need to date your spouse and spend money on your spouse. You need, to, you need to communicate with your spouse. You need to make investments into your spouse, into your marriage. And then you're going to sow, as you sow into that marriage, you're going to reap a harvest of a great marriage. If you want to have a great family tomorrow, if you want to be connected to your kids, you need to sow into your kids today. You need to sow time in with your, with your sons and your daughters. You need to sow time in to make sure that you're investing into your kids, investing more than just your money into your kids, but investing your life, investing your time in your kids so that you can reap a harvest of a great family tomorrow. And, and here's the deal. Here's a, the greater truth for you. If you want to have a great life, you've got to sow your life into God and into his purposes. There's a story in the Bible about Jesus feeding uh, a group of, uh, it says, 5,000 maybe, how you know this story, with the boy with the loaves and the fishes. If you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at this story real quick. As you turn there, let me kind of set the, the stage for you, what's actually going on here. Uh, at this point in Jesus' life and his ministry, he was at the peak of, of his ministry. Uh, his popularity was was massive and it was spreading. Jesus was going about. He was healing people. He was setting people free. He was preaching messages that were just blowing people away. And so there was this huge crowd of people that were following Jesus everywhere he went. And so one day Jesus is in one of these scenarios. He's got this giant group of people all around him and Jesus is preaching. And as Jesus is preaching, he goes on and on and on. He's preaching and the day is just progressing more and more and more. And all of a sudden people start to get, you know, 
physically hungry as the day progresses. And so the disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, you know, sorry to interrupt you. It's really good stuff that you're, that you're preaching here. But, but the people, I think the people are starting to get kind of hungry. So, we, you know, we may need to go ahead and just, you know, say amen, close this thing down and, and release the people so they can go home and get some food. And we can pick back up, you know, tomorrow. But Jesus, he, 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 he kind of, he's not down for that. In fact, it says this in verse 16. It says, they do not need to go away. You Give them something to eat. So the disciples walk away from this, you know, with this humongous group of people having no idea how they're actually going to feed all these people. And, and I have, here, here's the thing, I have a hard time believing that all they could come up with was one basket of, of food with, with these five loaves and these two fishes. I, I actually think there was probably more food than that there that day. But I, I think they were just trying to find an excuse to kind of you know, make Jesus say, okay, yeah, I think you're right. We should go ahead and just turn these people loose. So they, they find this little boy who gives them this basket of food that he has, and they bring this to Jesus, and I think they're expecting Jesus is going to go, oh, that's all you guys can come up with? Well, yeah, if that's all we got, I guess we better turn these people loose. But that's not what Jesus did. It says this in verse 18, Jesus said, bring them here to me. Talking about the, the food, the loaves and the fishes. Verse 19, then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes so that they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, let me, let me explain this to you. Okay. They start off with this one basket of food, five loaves of bread and two little fish. Jesus takes this, he blesses it in his hands, he gives it back to the disciples, and they begin to start handing this food out. As they're handing it out, it starts to multiply to the point that every person gets fed and is full, and at the end, they have 12 baskets full of fish and bread left over. So everybody gets fed, and there's more left over than what they started with. That, my friends, is a miracle. It says this in verse 21. Now those who had eaten that day were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Maybe you've heard this story called, you know, Jesus feeding the 5,000. But he actually fed a lot more than 5,000. 5,000 was just the men that were counted. That doesn't include, you know, their wives and children that were there. There could have been 10,000, 15, 20,000 people for all we know that were there. And they all got fed and they all were full based on one basket of food. It's an amazing story. Now, we don't know a lot about, you know, the little boy that's in this story. In fact, we don't even know his name. But what we do know about him is that he was willing to give to Jesus what he had. He didn't bring a lot to the table, but what he did have, he brought and he gave to Jesus. He placed in Jesus' hands. And here's what I want you to see. God wants us to bring what we have to the table. This boy, what, what he brought, if you look at it, in comparison to the need, what he had was, was, it was insignificant and insufficient. But when he was willing to give what he had to Jesus, as little as it was, as, as, as small as it was compared to the need, what, when he gave it to Jesus and placed it in his hands, what was small at one point, what was insignificant and insufficient, became significant and sufficient when it was placed in the hands of Jesus. And listen, my friends, you need to understand this. It's not about what you bring. It's not about what you bring. It's about who you bring it to. God can do a lot with a little. If you're willing to, to take the little that you have or what you have and place it 
in his hands. If you'll do that, he'll bless it. Now think about this. Think about this just real quick. I got a question for you. Why did Jesus multiply loaves and fishes that day? Why is it that he did that? It's not a trick question. It's actually really simple. Here's why. Because that's what was placed in his hands. That's what was given to him. Now, remember back Galatians 6, 7, we just looked at it. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. See, see, here's how it works. What you sow is what you will reap. That, that's a principle that God has established in his world. That's a principle that the world is based on. And listen, that's a principle that God lives his life under. God also lives under that same principle. Think about this. Uh, when God created these, these people in the beginning, Adam and Eve, and he created this family, he created this son and this daughter so that they could, they could build this race of human beings, which we all are, that would be his children. But Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and they messed everything up and God lost his family. He was divorced from his family and he lost access to his sons and daughters. So what did God do in order to get back his sons and daughters? What did he sow? He sowed his son. And what did he get back? He got back sons and daughters. He sowed a son into the world And now we, through his son, can become sons and daughters of God once again. We can once again have the kind of relationship that God designed for us to have. And that's accessible through us, through what Jesus did, through the gift of Jesus, through the seed that was sown and God giving his son to this world. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You need to realize this morning, God can't bless what you don't give to him. But what you do give to him, what you do place into his hands, he'll multiply. He'll multiply whatever you choose to honor him with and place in his hands. So if you'll give him your life, he'll bless your life and he'll multiply your life. If you give him your days, he'll bless your days and he'll multiply your days. Your days will matter and be significant. The scope of your life is determined by the substance of your days. If you give God your life and your daily your daily life with God, then he'll sow into your days and your, be, your days will be multiplied and they'll be blessed and our days will become powerful, powerful things. And if we keep doing that day in after day, then, then over time, if we stack up enough of these great days partnered with God, they turn into this amazing life. So if you want to have a great life today, you got to sow into your life today. If you want to have a great life in the future you got to sow into your life today because the scope of your life is determined by the substance of your days. Number three, the right time to do the right thing is right now. The right time to do the right thing is right now. And this is so important because I, I think we can hear a message like this sometimes and we, we kind of fall into these different categories of life. You know, maybe you're you're in the category of, of being a little bit older and and you're almost, you kind of feel like you hear this and it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm that old dog who, you know, can't learn new tricks. I, I, my life is kind of where it is and I've fallen into, you've fallen into some ruts in your life and life is just kind of happening and you've created these certain grooves that you're just kind of going along in and you feel like change is not really possible for you. Or maybe you're, you're on the other side and, and you, you hear this and you think, oh man, that's great and I, I want that, but I, I just... I'm not ready for that right now. Like someday I'm going to put that, I'm going to do that. Uh, someday I'm going to accomplish those things. Someday I'm going to really give my life to God. I'm going to go after that. But, but right now, you know, maybe next week, maybe, maybe in a month, maybe in a few, in a few years. 
But here's what you need to understand today. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Procrastination is self-deception. What you're putting off till tomorrow is hurting you today. There, there's this couple of guys in, in the Bible in, in Luke chapter 9 that come to Jesus. It's really interesting because these guys come to Jesus and, and I think they realize, like probably most of us do, that following Jesus is the right thing. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to be, we want to be with you. The, the first guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. And Jesus says this in, in Luke 9 verse 59. He says, follow me. And Jesus says, you know, come on, let's go. But it says, the guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So this is, this is just interesting. This guy comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I love what you're doing. I love what you stand for. I love the things I'm seeing in your life. I, I want to follow you. And so Jesus says, okay, come on, let's, let's do this thing. Let's, let's go. To which the man responds with, oh, you, you mean now? Uh, oh, like, like right now. Well, um, you know, Jesus, I, I got some stuff to do right now. I mean, I'm, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm, I'm with you. I like what you're doing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I just got, I got some stuff I, I got to do. I, I got to, uh, uh, I got to bury my dad. Yeah, that's, that's it, Jesus. I got to bury my dad. Let me bury my dad and then I'll come and follow you. I'll, I'll, I'll bury him and then I'll, I'll be with you. And we hear this and we kind of think, well, that seems like, you know, pretty, pretty reasonable thing. You know, this guy's dad is dead. He wants to take care of the, the funeral and bury his father. But here's what you need to understand. This guy's dad wasn't even dead at this time. He, he wasn't dead. It wasn't that the guy's dad was dead and he needed to bury him. It was, he was, here's what the guy was saying. He's saying, I'll follow you once that happens. Uh, and, and basically he was putting it off till a day that he didn't really know. He was just kind of putting it off. And here was Jesus' response to him. Jesus said this. He said, let the, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus says this, if you want to follow me, it's now. Quit putting it off. Let's go. You want to follow me? Let's go. Get on board. Let's go. It's right now. So then right after this, another guy comes to Jesus and he wants to follow him. And it says this in verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. Or in other words, he says, you know, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm going to follow you. Let me just go say bye to my, you know, my mom and my dad and my cousins and just kind of kiss them goodbye. And then, and then I'm with you. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, now let me explain this to you. It's a little farmer terminology here. Jesus says, if your head, hand is to the plow, you can't be looking back. Now in, in plowing, uh, especially in biblical times, it was very important that you plowed straight lines. Uh, if you didn't plow straight lines, then, then you could mess up the crop. Uh, here, because, because irrigation, the way it was, you know, today we have sprinkler systems, we have different ways to be able to water crops. So the, the plow lines being straight are not as important. They're still important, but not as important. But back in these times, in order for them to water their crops, you know, they had to divert, you know, water to their crops, or they'd have to find other ways to water their crops. So it was important that they had these, these clear rows. It was also important so they could continue to plow those same crops. Um, because they, they need to plow them over and over again to keep the weeds down and to keep the dirt, you know, refreshed and, and aired up. 
And so my, my, my dad was a farmer growing up in West Texas. If you've ever been to West Texas, you know that it's very, it's very flat land. There's not a lot to see. And my dad was telling me that when he would plow, in order to get those straight lines, he would have to fix his eyes on something in front of him. He'd have to find a, a tree or a gatepost or a silo or something that he could fix his eyes on and he could focus on so that he could get straight lines plowed. And he'd have to look at that while he was, he was plowing. And he could look back every once in a while to kind of check to make sure the plowing stuff was working the way it was supposed to, but, but he had to fix his eyes ahead. And that's what Jesus is, is kind of getting to here. If, you're gonna, if your life is going to be fruitful, if it's going to produce the kind of fruit that you want it to produce, you can't keep looking back. You've got to focus ahead. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus and, and go with him forward in your life. But, you know, I, I think we all have a tendency to, to kind of want to look back sometimes. We look back at, at old friendships or maybe we look back at old mistakes, or maybe we look back at, at the good old days, you know, when we were high school sports phenoms or whatever that may be. And we all look back and we either think, man, I wish I would have done things differently, or we think, man, I wish it was still like it was back then. But Jesus is saying this, don't focus on the past, focus on the future with me. Focus on where we can go together. Uh, Proverbs 6 verse 5 kind of echoes this idea the message translation, it says this. It says, friends, don't waste a minute. Get yourself out of that mess. Don't procrastinate. There's no time to lose. Run like a deer from the hunter. Fly like a bird from the trapper. In other words, now is the time. The right time to do the right thing is right now. There's an old Chinese proverb that says that the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. <laughs> but let me tell you that the next best time to plant a tree. The second best time to plant a tree is right now. Sure, it's true. If, if you would have planted a tree 10 years ago, you would be enjoying the fruit of that tree today. You could walk up to that tree right now and you could pick pieces of fruit off that tree and you could eat them. You could take one of the branches of that tree and you could hang a swing from that tree that you could push your kids on that they could enjoy. You could on hot days get under that tree and, 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 and sit in the shade of that tree. Yes, had you 10 years ago made some decisions to have better days, you could be reaping better fruit from those today. But that doesn't mean you can't start now and plant a tree today that, that 10 years from now will change your life and change the lives of your family and the people around you. 10 years from now, what could your life look like? 10 years from now, who could you become? I, I was thinking about this this week. 10 years from now, my, my son Gus will be an 18-year-old senior in high school. My daughter, Bo, will be 15 years old. My daughter, Sonny, will be 13 years old. I need to start preparing today for that day. I, I'm going to have two teenage daughters that are both really pretty. I need to be prepared for what it's going to take to handle that in 10 years from now. Yes, I want to make 2017 the best year of my life. I do. But I also want to prepare today so that 2027 is an even better year for me and my family and the people around us. Yes, this message is for today, but this, this message is also for a future today. And let me tell you, if you choose to say today that, that you're going to make, you know, today is going to be the right time to do the right thing is right now. If you make that decision, it may feel a little awkward. 
Some of the changes that God may be asking you to make, some of the habits you may be trying to form may take a lot of intentionality. You know, it's kind of like that first time you drive to a new location. You got to really focus. You got to pay attention. But but here's the thing. If we, if we keep going down this road with God, over time, it will become a habit in our life. And here's what will happen. Over time, you'll find that you're just arriving at these amazing places that God has in store for you. Victory in 2027 starts today. Ten years from now, how is God going to be using you? Ten years from now, what's your family going to look like? It all starts today. Now, I've got some homework for you this week, okay? So a little simple, little homework, but I think it's something we can do, we can practice to help us to become who it is God's called us to be, all right? I want you to get out a piece of paper this week, and I want you to create three columns on that piece of paper. In the first column, uh, I want you to write down good habits, and then I want you to list some of the good habits of your life, whatever those may be. They may be spiritual habits, like you read the Bible every day, that you pray every day. They may be physical habits. You exercise, you eat good, you go to the gym, you know, five days a week, whatever those may be. List out a lot of the good habits of your life, as many as you can come up with. Now, in the next column, this is where it's going to get a little bit more real, you're going to list the bad habits of your life. The things that you are doing that you know you need to stop doing. You know, maybe you need to quit smoking. It's something that you do that you know you need to stop doing. You know it's shortening your life. You know you need to quit that. Maybe you drink a lot of soda and you know that that's not good for you. You know that that's hurting you. That's taking years off your life. Maybe you're saying things that you know you shouldn't be saying. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of your tongue. And you're saying, you're letting things come out of your mouth. Words come out of your mouth that are hurting you. You need to stop that. Maybe you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at on your computer. And you need to stop that. That's a bad habit. List your bad habits. And then the third column, I want you to list um, habits in your life that don't currently exist, but that you want to create. And so these are the habits that you want to start doing and make a habit in your life. Maybe it's stuff like praying with your spouse. Maybe it's stuff like running every day. Maybe it's stuff like you know praying with your kids or, 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 or reading the Bible to your kids. Whatever those may be, list those good habits that you have in your life, okay? And then here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that list and you're going to give it to somebody in your life that you love. Now listen, I want you to give this to somebody that you know is a Christian, that's for you, that's with you, somebody that has good intentions, okay, for your life. Don't just give this to anybody. Give it to somebody that you know is with you in life. If you're married, that's probably going to be your spouse. And listen, this is where it's going to get real. Some of those bad habits may be a little tough to reveal to your spouse, but you need to do it. You need to get real. And then here's what you're going to do. You're going to allow them to speak into those habits and to add any habits that you need to create or any changes, add anything to that list that needs to be added to that list. I know that that may be kind of hard, and, 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 but, but listen, as we do this, it's going to empower God to help us. See, there's areas in your life you need to understand. There's areas in your life that you just, you can't see. You have blind spots, and, and, and somebody else can see, and they can help you. So we need to choose. I, I remember when I was in, in high school, I was playing basketball, and I remember my coach telling me in this game, if you'll just go left, there, the lane is open just about every time. And, and I, I did some, but I, I didn't see it. And at the end of the game, I remember watching the film later on, and you could see this gaping hole that was there to the left. And, but I couldn't see it when I was in the middle of the game. I needed somebody else to, to see it for me. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to choose to let other people 
come in and, and, and we're going to be coachable. We're not going to get offended. We're going to be teachable. And I believe by doing so, we're choosing to be better. I say in 2027, I say we, we give God our habits. I say we give God every single day of our life. And, and we believe that at the end of this year, we can have a life that we can be proud of. Habits are powerful. What, what you, so what are you practicing? Because practice makes permanent. We need, to, we need to make spiritual practices and put spiritual practices in place in our life so that they can become the habits of our life. Number two, the scope of our life is determined by the substance of your days. We need to give God our life. Give God your days. Sow where you want to reap. If you'll give God, give God your days, you give God your life, He'll bless it. He'll multiply it. He'll make it something amazing. And the right time to do the right thing is right now. Procrastination is self-deception. Don't put off till tomorrow what God wants to do in your life today. What you put off till tomorrow is hurting you today. We're just, listen, we're just getting started in this series. Don't miss a single week. I, I cannot wait to continue to talk with you about the habits of our life and how we can partner with God and creating the kind of life God's called us to have. And let's do this this year. Let's make being at church every single week a habit of our life. Let, let, let's not let's let's make that something that's so important to us. You know that was a habit of Jesus. He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. If that was good enough for Jesus, let's make that good enough for us. Let's not make let's not miss a week of this series. Let's not let little things get in the way and keep us from connecting with God and connecting with other believers and being in the presence of God and being in the presence of of our fellow Christians and walking with God this year. Let's let's make this the best year of our life. If you will, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.